leadership, I always say it is the three P's. It is a privilege. It is about purpose. It's about passion. So one, being a leader is a privilege. Number two, if you don't have a purpose, you may have title of a leader, but you really are not a leader. And passion is very important because if you don't have passion to do whatever you are doing, it is impossible to lead. Welcome to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast. While there are a ton of other leadership podcasts out there on the interwebs, this is the only one solely dedicated to developing undergraduate leaders in numerous fields. We bring in interesting leaders from a variety of disciplines and industries to dish out practical advice for entrepreneurial undergraduates embarking on their professional careers. You'll hear from leaders operating at all levels, CEOs and other C-suite individuals who are at the top of their industries, mid-career professionals only several years removed from their college days, and young leaders in school who are already doing amazing things. We feature leaders from business, diplomacy, education, journalism, engineering, law, medicine, and the sports world. It's all part of our mission here at the Pusino Leadership Institute. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, everybody. My name is Claire Samuel, and today I'll be your host. For this episode, we are thrilled to have Mr. Ruchin Kansal as our guest. Mr. Kunsel is currently working at Seton Hall University in the Stillman School of Business, heading the Leadership Development Program. Before coming to Seton Hall, he has worked as a strategy and transformation consultant with Ernest & Young, Capgemini and Deloitte, Senior Vice President and Global Head of Digital Strategy at Siemens Health & Ears, Founding Leader of the First Business Innovation and Transformation Unit at Beringer Ingelheim, Founder and Managing Director of Kunsel & Company, and has even done stints as an Air Force cadet. Some of his career highlights include being invited to the Obama White House to share best practices for engaging patients in research in support of the Presidential Precision Medicine Initiative, serving as a board member for Stanford Medicine X, being recognized as one of the top 40 Healthcare Transformers Award by Medical Marketing and Media in 2016, and has won the Beringer Ingelheim President's Award for developing the company's first patient engagement strategy. In addition to this, he has publications in PharmaExec, Wharton Healthcare Quarterly, MedCity News, and Digital Health Age. He even co-authored the book, Redefining Innovation, Embracing the 80-80 Rule to Ignite Growth in the Biopharmaceutical Industry, which was published in May 2018. Mr. Kunsel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, and that was not me that you spoke about just now. <laughs> and I'm just joking. You scared me first. <laughs> so before getting into your extensive corporate career, I want to talk about your job as an Air Force cadet. What was that experience like? Well, that was a very brief experience. Oh. Got selected, but had to depart for an injury. So, you know, that yeah. was certainly my dream, but did not work out, uh, you know, and then those things happen in life. So you've had global experiences in America, Asia, and Europe. So what experiences have you had in each country? A lot of these experiences have been work-related. What I would say is each of these experiences has brought to light to me the fact that people around the world have perspectives that are informed by their own values, their own circumstances, and then their own mindsets. And none of them are wrong. We tend to get into debates on, you know, I'm right, you are wrong. Mm -hmm. What I've realized over time is nobody's wrong. They just come from a 
point of view and it is really important for us as individuals as people as leaders to have a very active open listening mindset so that we can listen we can make sense and hopefully craft you know a unified path together and that has been my biggest learning so what advantages did you find that having this global experience brings to you in your work humility just the fact that you know i'm not the smartest in the room the fact that i'm not the only one who knows it uh, or knows it at all <laughs> and then the fact that there are so many great bright people out there really trying to do the best to make a better world so yeah i would say humility is the thing that it brings to me one of the distinguishing aspects of your career is that you have been invited to the obama white house to share best practices for engaging patients in research in support of the presidential precision medicine initiative the mission statement of this initiative is to provide a new era of medicine through research technology and policies that empower patients researchers and providers to work together toward development of individualized care is this topic something you are passionate about we all should be passionate about my you know healthcare is a very personal thing mm-hmm. and we live in an environment where it has become a business right and and we as patients are treated as someone with a dollar value on our head <laughs> as we're walking around by the healthcare industry uh, and and that is good and bad i mean that is good because that really incentivizes the healthcare industry to continuously innovate and bring the best technologies best procedures forward it is bad because a lot of times we forget that we are talking about humans here so what i would say is having a human centered approach to medicine is very very important always reminding ourselves that we are in the business of healthcare for the patient for the individual is very very important and then from that perspective precision medicine is very important because not all of us are created equal however if we can leverage technology science uh, and humanity to create the best outcome for each of us that is utopian but still you know something we should strive for it is utopian because that will cost us trillions of dollars and mm-hmm. we don't have the capacity to spend that much money but any step we can take towards that uh, i think is a great step towards you know overall wellness of the human kind did you always know that you wanted to go into a field that related to healthcare i did not know that at all it was accidental um, all of my life has been an accident so after my real short stint as an efos cadet i went to school and studied architecture so i became an architect and that was in india and then i moved to the us and practiced as an architect i i got my masters in architecture and practiced as an architect and then decided that uh, i should do more with my life and decided to get a mba mm-hmm. uh, when i was in business school all of my classmates knew what they wanted they wanted to go into banking or consulting and i did not even know what that meant so i ended up at pfizer for my summer internship and that was my entree into healthcare so i went to pfizer and did three work a uh, three month internship there and when i got hired by ernst and young because i had a three month experience with pfizer the first project i was put on was with johnson and johnson mm-hmm. <laughs> and and you know that's how i became a healthcare person but i i really enjoyed it i mean my wife is a physician uh, we talk healthcare at home all the time i've now spent 20 years in the industry i've learned a lot and and i it, it is really a very very noble industry and mm-hmm. uh, there are a lot of very very smart good well meaning people 
in the industry that are really trying to do their best every day for all of us. I mean, look at the pandemic, you know, each, each of them is putting a mask and showing up at the hospital to make sure that if you and I or I get sick, you know, they are there to take care of us. So you are the founder and managing director of Kunsel and Company, where you focus on helping companies plan and execute upon digital transformation and become the leaders that they can be. What inspired you to start this company? After 20 years of uh, being on the corporate side of things, what I realized is that it's not strategy that drives company success. It is leadership that drives it. It is people that get in the way of success. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my whole idea of starting consulting company was to really help people and leaders to find the courage to adopt, to change that will drive their success and that will drive their organization's success. And, and that is what has really you know, inspired me to do this. Uh, I really want to work with people to help them erase the barriers, the mental barriers they have in achieving the futures they can achieve. So is your company something that you're heavily involved in currently? Uh, You know, I certainly stay a little busy with that, but at the same time, my responsibilities are certainly with Seton Hall and the Center for Leadership Development at this time. And that's where I'm finding a lot of my energy and a lot of my motivation. So yes, while you know I do a few things for consultant company, I find my primary excitement right now at Seton Hall. Were there any like crucible moments that you might have had that led you to become the leader that you are today? So I've had a few crucible moments and I think they have informed my overall journey So let me start by saying this. I believe leadership is not about a title. Mm -hmm. Leadership, I always say it is the three Ps. It is a privilege. It is about purpose. It's about passion, right? So one, being a leader is a privilege. Number two, if you don't have a purpose, you may have title of a leader, but you really are not a leader. And passion is very important because if you don't have passion to do whatever you are doing, it is impossible to lead. That's my perspective. People may disagree. And that's the value wheel of my life, you know, and some of the crucible moments that have brought me there are, you know, one, certainly, you know, I was an immigrant who came to the U.S. And I remember when I came here, uh, I came on a full scholarship, but the stipend I used to get was $500 a month. And that was not enough even to pay for my, you know, apartment, uh, etc. So I took on a job, uh, which would bring me to the uh, university newspaper at 4 a.m. every morning and I would insert coupons in the newspaper. Now I'm talking 25 years ago and I used to get paid $5 an hour for that. I came from a pretty fortunate family in India, right? So I never had to work. I, I came from a privileged family and, you know, when I was in a different environment and, you know, that happened, I was like, what I had was a privilege and now I have to do this. How do I make sure I don't have to do this forever? I went to business school. I still remember a day I was walking through New York City. I you know, had taken a loan to get my business degree. I was married. My wife was pursuing her PhD. We didn't, again, have any money. And I was standing in front of this fruit stand. I wanted to have a banana, but it was a dollar. And I really struggled to buy that banana. And I was like, something's wrong with that. You know, uh, what am I doing? And am I really, you know, am I made for this? Uh, fine. I've worked hard. I've worked hard to make sure, you know, that one, I can afford what I want. But at the same time, it also brought compassion in me because I saw so many other people like me who were struggling. 
And I was like, I have to help everyone, right? So th- th- that's the mindset that started to happen. I joined my first job September 10, 2001. September 11, 2001 happened the next day. Uh, and uh, again, from an immigrant mindset who had someone moved to another country, had struggled so far. And then, you know, now I start the job and uh, September 11 happens. And again, I was kind of in a corner in terms of, hey, what do I do next? So, you know, these were instances early on that kind of put me in a corner. And every time I was in the corner, one, I had the desire to do better for myself, but I also realized I'm not the only one. And I realized that because I came from privilege and I was faced with these circumstances, which allowed me to do compare and contrast. And, 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 you know, that started to create this idea of, you know, compassion in me and in the fact that if I'm ever going to be in a situation where I can give back or help, I will. And I think that's what has really, you know, crafted uh, my life. I mean, I, I really look at my career as a big privilege. I worked hard, but I was given the opportunities to do more and more and more. And, and that allowed me to fulfill my desire to help as many people as I can along the journey. And that has really defined my leadership values and leadership journey. So, so yeah, th- that's how I look at it. Uh, I look at those crucible moments. That's interesting to hear. So would you, what would you say is one of the biggest impacts that you were able to make with your career? I still think back to my teammates and, and, you know, when I was, for example, building the business unit at Boringer Ingelheim and, and it has been, you know, story everywhere, even in my consulting days or Siemens, it's a team that I built and I really am so happy now when I see them succeed in whatever they do. Um, and, uh, you know, we were building something totally new. We were taking very new risks. We were uh, going against the tide a little bit in terms of, you know, innovation versus, uh, versus you know, the incumbent. And it wasn't easy for any of us, right? We took a lot of arrows on our back. But I feel so grateful today that all of these people on my team, through their experience, have crafted their own carriers and journeys that uh, they really find very enriching. So I think that's the biggest impact, you know, uh, the mm-hmm. impact I've made on the people I've worked with. Like looking at your like list of accomplishments and all the positions you've held, it seems like you've been such a successful person. Have you had any like, major setbacks or anything? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All the time. <laughs> all the time. You know, some of the setbacks. So the thing with the uh, Life is, uh, you don't hear about setbacks. You only hear about, mm-hmm. you know, good things that happen to people's lives. But um, I mean, my biggest setback, I would say, was uh, the setback I had in 2019 when I was the senior vice president uh, and global head of strategy, digital strategy at Siemens. Uh, I was hired into this very, very senior role after a six-month-long search that the company conducted. And within two months of me joining the organization, the board decided to change direction and really, you know, get out of the digital services business. And, you know, I had thought I had kind of reached the pinnacle of where I want to be in my journey of my career. And then suddenly I was facing a scenario where I had to rethink everything, right? Uh, Do I move to Germany? Do I find another job? How will the world see it? And it, it, it was difficult, but uh, what I also realized is that was a very good time to really think deeply about what do I really want from my life and what do I want to be. And yes, I could have taken on another job that was similar. I could have 
done something totally different. But what I realized is it's these setbacks that create the best opportunities because it allowed me to also think about what I truly want. And what I truly wanted was to teach, to conduct research, to write, and then to really give back and hopefully start to build on a different kind of legacy. And it is that moment of weird that happened in my life really brought me back to school and uh, onto this new life that I'm beginning to create for me now. So uh, setbacks, yes, many. Uh, this one, uh, 20 years ago, if you asked me what would I do 20 years from then, I would not say I will be back at school and teaching. But, but you know, that's the journey of life and the setback has totally changed the trajectory and I'm very happy for it. We're very happy for it too. So after holding these various leadership positions, what would you say makes a good leader? Are there any specific characteristics or qualities that you think a leader must have? Number one, active listening. And when I say active listening, it is not listening, just what people are saying, but listening to the emotion and the feelings behind what they are saying. Because if you can't tap into the feelings and the emotions, you really can't have people do things that may need to be done or you think may be right. It's really about inspiration. Till you can listen actively and listen to the emotions, you can't inspire. So that is number one. Number two, learning. Uh, never, never, ever underestimate the value of learning. You just don't know everything. You actually don't know anything. So the time you decide that you know it all, you already become a dinosaur. So learn, 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 always have that learning mindset, always have that agility to take on the new and learn because a lot of time what happens is people resist change, people resist change because of fear. But if you can learn, you overcome fear and you can um, uh, you know, continue on a path forward. And, and then lastly, I would say it is uh, really about relationships right? Uh, it is having a trusted group of friends, family, colleagues, who you can speak with, and who are your basically stress relievers. Uh, because it gets, as, as you grow more senior, it becomes more stressful, it becomes more lonely. Uh, and, and if you don't have that support system behind you, it can become pretty stressful. So having those trusted, deep relationships, whether it's your family or a small group of friends, colleagues, that is very, very important. You've had many successes in your life. So would you say that your definition of success has changed throughout your life? It is changing. Uh, it is changing. Initially, my definition of success was how much money I was making. Then it became, I think, more these days, it's about the time I have with my family and then time I spend doing things that I like to do than things I want to do or have to do. I mean, uh, things I have to do, not want to do. Uh, and I would think, you know, it will change again after a few years. I don't know what will be. It just might be success, maybe, you know, just getting out of bed every day and feeling healthy. Uh, that day might be success in a few years from now. But yeah, I mean, definition of success changes over time and it's okay it's totally okay i mean we we tend to live in a society that is very very goal oriented and very dominantly about 
itself mm-hmm. what i am started to i've started to feel at this time uh, is success is really about the collective about how we can together make the world better and and spend more time doing that what is one piece of advice that you would give students who are trying to achieve that success and try to become leaders i'll go back to the three p's privilege purpose and passion number one just the fact that you are at school is a privilege because if you look around there are many that are not so take this opportunity to maximize the opportunity you have in front of you learn just make mistakes do whatever but but don't throw away the privilege that you have of being in college today and having access to all the resources you have number 2 purpose right so it's purpose is difficult right and the purpose may change over time but always find some purpose just don't live through life daily just to live it right it, the purpose just could be as simple as i'm going to laugh every day for the next 7 days or i'm going to make everyone around me laugh for the next 10 days uh, you know something simple is a good purpose to have but have a purpose and uh, number 3 passion whatever you do whether it is you know making your bed whether it is you know going to class whether it is participating in a discussion just do it with passion passion shows passion attracts passion passion makes you stand out passion makes you the leader you don't have to be saying that you are a leader but if you do things with passion people will follow you so i would say those three things you know don't squander the privilege you have find a purpose even if it is short term <laughs> but find something to do uh, that is purposeful and and you know just do everything with passion leadership will come leadership will come on its own so how do you think people can show leadership during these times of covid-19 and the pandemic situational it is very situational right so i mean if we think back to what is leadership there are many definitions of leadership out there uh, one definition could be just you know creating positivity in the environment you are in and and if i just take that definition i think that's a great definition of leadership in the time of pandemic creating positivity and just you know focusing on creating positivity in whatever situation you are in could be a good demonstration of leadership right i mean there is so much despair there is so much hunger there is so much unknown out there uh, and people are struggling every day and if we can just you know from our perspective create positivity in that I, i think you know that that's that's a great way of showing leadership we don't have to do a lot would you say that there is someone that you look up to that's helped shaped how you are as a leader today you know there are many people i look up to but i look up to my dad i look up to my mom i look up to my wife i look up to my son all of them shape who i am and all of them have made sacrifices all of them have done things but all of them remain positive and and that that's what drives me as well so 2 years ago you published a book titled redefining innovation embracing the 8080 rule to ignite growth in the biopharmaceutical industry 
So within the book, it talks about the 80-80 approach being 80% confident that you will only be 80% right the first time should feel normal. Do you believe that this is an important role that people should take into their own lives? Oh, yeah. I mean, I live it every day, right? So there is something called analysis paralysis, right? And a lot of us tend to live in that domain. And a lot of us tend to just have the hubris that if I say it, it will happen. And, uh, you know, that's also not right. I believe that taking informed risks, jumping in and experimenting yields better results and more innovation and more change and more positivity than either of the other two approaches. I mean, just look at me. I mean, I became an architect. I became a consultant. I got into healthcare. I got into digital. I got into consumer. I got into precision medicine. Now I'm teaching, right? And I'm taking informed risks. And I get nervous every day, even today, when I get up, would I be able to deliver what I have to deliver today, right? Will I be able to teach students? Will I be able to? But that is fine, as long as, you know, I'm preparing and I'm doing whatever I'm doing with passion, but at the same time, knowing that I might fail and that's okay. I think that's a good mindset to have in everything that we do. Do it, being okay with failure and then, you know, Failure is not the end of the world. Failure actually, you know, creates new opportunities. So you've published a lot in various different sources. Would you say writing is something that is your hobby or something that you enjoy doing? I, I love it. I wish I could do more. Over the last three months, I haven't been able to write much. I just submitted a article for Water and Healthcare Quarterly's um, January edition but yeah, I, I love to write. One of the things we are trying to do here at Seton Hall is uh, launch uh, a leadership magazine called Lead. With the, Our ambition is to ha- launch the first uh, uh, edition in December. And uh, yeah, it is. it comes from my passion for writing. And then it comes from knowing the fact that there are a lot of great people with great experiences who, if they can write about what they know, will benefit a lot of leaders around the world. So what got you passionate about teaching? I've been called a professor all my life, wherever I was. I think, I think you know, it, it, it is something that I enjoy. I don't, I can't tell you exactly why, but it gives me pleasure to share what I know. But more importantly, it gives me pleasure, pleasure to hear different perspectives on what opinions I have on a topic. So for me, teaching is not me telling you do this X, Y, and Z way. Teaching for me is having a discussion on, hey, here is a perspective and how can we challenge it? How can we make it better? How can we do something about it? And then that's how I look at it. And that's what I enjoy about teaching. So what direction are you looking to take the leadership program at Seton Hall? The leadership program at Seton Hall, I think it is one of the world's best kept secrets, right? Uh, it is, just imagine four years of investment that the Institute and the university is making in you for, you know, year after year for four years through teaching, through experiential learning, through coaching, through mentoring, through, you know, so many different experiences, not a lot of students across many schools are getting that. And I don't think we talk enough about that. So that is one, right? Raising 
brand awareness of what we do because we are doing something right here number two we should also not get uh, we should not get hubris around uh, you know that we are doing something great so learning what others are doing and building some of those best practices into what we should do next is i think also very important and we are looking to you know we are doing some of that benchmarking now number three it is also very important to communicate clearly that if you hire a leader coming out of our leadership institute what do you get right and and i think we can certainly do a better job of defining that as well in terms of you know what do we focus in terms of skill building mindset building and then if you get someone from our program this is what you get so i i would say those are three pretty low hanging fruits beyond that certainly you know creating more of a thought leadership mindset where we are known for creating thought leadership in this uh, field uh, is also another you know pillar that we are looking to stand up what would you say has been the biggest accomplishment that you've been able to achieve i'll go back to uh, people right people i've worked with and then the careers that they have yeah I mean, that 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 is it i mean personally yes uh, i feel very privileged i feel very uh, thankful for what i have i feel a lot more secure than i was when i was standing uh, in new york city trying to buy a banana <laughs> so you know i have I've certainly overcome that phase of my life and that part of my life but yeah i think uh, there is still a lot to be done so we will see what kind of legacy i build i don't think i'm there yet well that's all the time we have for today so thank you mr consul for coming on the podcast and for our listeners we will see you guys next week thank you so much On behalf of everyone at the Bucino Leadership Institute, I'd like to thank all of our podcast listeners, the podcast team, as well as 89.5 WSOU Pirate Radio for allowing us to use their facilities. Follow us online at www.shu.edu/leadership and on Twitter at @shu_leadership. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better.